It's Monday the 11th of November 2019, and this is HPR episode 2941 entitled Server Basics 107, Mini Shift and Container Management. It is the 230th anniversary show of Tlatu, and it's about 39 minutes long. It carries a clean flag, and the summary is Tlatu introduces Mini Shift, a local test environment for a single node cloud. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. You're listening to Hacker Public Radio. My name is Clat2. In this episode, I want to continue my server basics series this is 107 in the series covering container management with Kubernetes, or thereabouts. Astute listeners might notice that this isn't directly really a topic about server basics. This is something really specifically about serverless basics. Serverless being sort of a buzzword right now, implying that there are no servers, that there is but the cloud. Of course, that's also not true because the cloud runs on something, and whether you call them servers or not, that's what they are. They're servers running a a cloud. It's just that there are lots of servers involved. Buzzwords aside, this episode is covering, and the previous episode, I decided to cover these technologies because realistically, if you go out and get a job, as a sysadmin somewhere, then one of the one of the tasks that you are going to be that you're going to encounter uh, on the job, you're going to be expected to be able to to do is to probably deal with infrastructure of some kind of cloud, whether it's a hybrid cloud that's mostly hosted on site across several different servers, or whether it's a globally networked system. Of, of servers or something that you rent somewhere, whatever it might be, there's going to be an expectation that you can manage that kind of infra- infrastructure. And the problem very up until very recently with that expectation is that there's really there was no realistic way for a new user to ever learn the skill, which of course traditionally, at least for me, has been a huge strength of of Linux and open source software in general was that you're able to learn the things that you could ultimately get paid for at home. You could just learn it on your own time for free for zero dollars and then you could go into a workforce and get paid for that knowledge. It's a huge, huge advantage. Uh, I'm speaking from experience. It has been an advantage for me. So I think that it's important to maintain that level of zero barrier to entry. And that's been a problem with the quote-unquote cloud technologies up until fairly recently. You could rent some space on a on a proprietary cloud platform and they would charge you by the by, by bandwidth or something like that. And and it was all very confusing and it wasn't zero dollars. And there are a couple of clouds out there that will offer you 
space and time on their on their system for in exchange for money. Uh, there is one from Oracle right now. Not that I'm recommending Oracle, but Oracle supposedly has an entry level cloud platform that you can sign up for, and they've got a bunch of restrictions on it. Uh, but it does have kind of a a GUI front end that you can play around with stuff through your through your browser. With all of that said, none of these options are ideal. And if you are just some random person seeking to either get into technology or seeking to upskill in technology so that you can get better work, what do you do if you don't have access to a big, fancy cloud? Well, I can get you about 60% of the way there with either a thing called Minikube or Minishift. Now, these are two separate projects, and the one I'm going to cover in this episode is Minishift because it's the one that I have more experience with, and I think it's a pretty easy way pretty easy way to get started with this stuff. In the previous episode, in 106, I was talking about containers and how containers are defined by namespaces and how these namespaces protect processes or a group of processes from sort of being aware of the environment upon which they're actually running. I talked about how that concept is part of the, the the this whole container idea this this concept that or this this the system by which we can run a sort of an embedded OS like an operating system on a computer with an operating system and it's a hugely powerful thing whether or not you approve of the of the design concept is more or less irrelevant at this point because they've kind of taken off, at least for for right now, they do seem to be the method by which people have chosen to deploy applications that need to scale quickly and dynamically. The answer is literally to just spin up another container somewhere or another set of containers somewhere to handle additional traffic or additional activity. Should something fail on that within that container, then the container crashes or stops and relaunches, picking up more or less where it left off. It does this by ensuring that there's no data being stored inside that container. This is a... a a very confusing concept to most people who are used to maintaining a server or even a virtual machine where that that thing the the computer whether it's real or virtual contains the user data and the 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 data and the the configurations and the the history and everything that that has ever happened in that space but in a container the idea is that Nothing is contained in the container except the stuff that needs to run, just sort of the logic of the, the, the program itself. Everything that it needs to run in a certain configuration or to or data that it needs to process is stored external of the container. So the result is that you have this set of these this set of servers with a distributed file system across each each server. And 
they are running little instances of just enough operating systems in a little container that process that that run and that run applications and then process data and when there needs to be more of that then another uh, another server in the in that cloud maybe pops into existence or or rather comes to life and and generates or or launches a, another instance of the container that you need in order to process all your new all the data that's coming into your into your cloud and when that's all processed and done those containers die off and that server sort of sits dormant until something like that happens again and maybe it's a completely different container that 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 happens on but it's a very it's a dynamic environment where applications being run on a miniature tiny operating system instance gets spawned and killed off as needed when you have something like that there is a need people have found to be able to monitor what's going on for instance how many containers of a of a specific how many instances of a specific container are are running right now how how is the latency between the 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 synchronization of file of files on the file system how's the ram doing and so on so there needs to be some way to manage all of these resources to look into them maybe even to give developers access to some portion of that so that when they are developing they can fire up a new container when they need rather than when the cloud thinks they need it or maybe they need to simulate traffic in order to 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 test the cloud whatever you need some kind of interface into that the interface into that is called kubernetes which is a greek word derived from or rather kubernetes is derived from a greek word for the for the concept of pilot p i l o t the pilot of a ship so kubernetes is an open source technology designed to orchestrate as they say containers it is naturally just a command line application it's a command that you run from a terminal to spawn and kill and monitor containers and you can get started with kubernetes just with pure kubernetes you can do that however it's a little bit cumbersome to do serious tasks exclusively with with the kubernetes command and for that reason there are several front ends for kubernetes both terminal based and as gui applications now the one that i've used because of my day job is openshift openshift is essentially a gui front end for kubernetes which is an orchestrator of containers the advantage to openshift is that it is an open platform based on a project called okd which i imagine stands for open kubernetes something maybe i don't know 
Anyway, it's based on this thing called OKD, which is an open source operating system, if you will, for the cloud. Now, that's not strictly true, but but if we consider the cloud as as the platform, which in a way is true, right? I mean, the cloud has to run on something. So to build an open source cloud, you would have a bunch of computers, and on each computer you would install an open source operating system, maybe Fedora or Debian, whatever you like. On that operating system, you would install a distributed file system like Ceph, that's C-E-P-H, or theoretically Gluster, but um, I've heard Ceph is kind of the way to go. And on that, on, on that file system, you would install components of OpenStack, including the GUI interface called OpenShift. OpenShift would be the web admin panel that people would log into to monitor the status of the cloud and to look at how many containers they have running and so on. Now, that's a completely open source cloud and it would be very cool to have one and it'd be fun to try out and you could do this. I mean, you could buy a bunch of pies and, and have a little pie cloud or something and they would be spinning up things as needed and doing all kinds of different activities. Can, you, you could try that, but realistically speaking, it's going to be difficult to come up with an appropriately sized personal cloud. By which I mean uh, the file system, for instance, for, follow, for, for failover protection, for, for, for failure to make sure that that it's always available and so on. It needs a certain number of nodes so that it so that it can synchronize between servers. And in theory you can you can have a two node setup, but it's not recommended and it's a little bit a little bit unreal well it's a lot bit unrealistic. You could do it for testing, I guess. Uh, really it would it ought to be at least three and then preferably a lot more. Uh, nodes for proper synchronization and and uh, robustness. The, the likelihood of someone learning Kubernetes just by, you know, by by first setting up a personal cloud is rather low. That's that's kind of a, a that's a demanding gateway to get through. So what a couple of people have developed is a thing called. Uh, mini shift or or mini cube, but again, I'm going to focus on mini shift because it's the one that I know. They've developed mini shift, which is a, a quasi virtualized private single node cloud. So it's completely useless in production. You would never use mini shift in real life. The advantage to it is that it mimics down to the, the the last little icon. I mean, it just mimics completely uh, an actual OpenShift environment. And OpenShift, again, is one of the interfaces to a cloud that you will encounter in the real world. I have several friends working at lots of different types of organizations, financial and artistic, uh, and they're using OpenShift there to manage their resources. So you'll definitely encounter it. It's not the only one out there. 
there are others, and I guess you could probably go to that Oracle Cloud One thing where they're offering free entry levels, and you could sign up for that, and you would you'd get dumped into their web admin, and there would be a different web UI. Although honestly, I, I kind of glanced at it, and it looks really really similar to the OpenShift OKD Mini Shift thing. I don't know what they're running, but the, it looked pretty familiar to me. Um, you could go to AWS and you'd find a different interface. You could go to Azure and you'd find a different one. So there are different ones out there, but the idea is that, or the ideas that they that they contain are going to be pretty similar. I mean, the tasks that that are involved often are are are, are not dissimilar. So in other words, I'm saying if you learned MiniShift, you'd be set up then to go straight into work on OpenShift and potentially you'd 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 have a leg up when you if you were to go working on some other non-open cloud platform as well because you'd just be that much more familiar with common tasks involved in in making these things work so how do you get MiniShift well the first thing you need to do is make sure that you've got the ability to run MiniShift on your computer. You probably do in this day and age, but you want to do the whole egrep dash dash only dash matching dash dash word dash regex and then single quote vmx pipe svm close single quote so that's a reg regex for looking for either vmx or svm in slash proc slash cpu info. Intel CPUs use the VMX virtualization, AMD CPUs return uh, SVM. So as long as you as long as you see something returned with that query, then you're good to go. Your your computer's capable of, of running of of doing this task. Like I say, in the modern day and age I, I, I think it would be rare to find a computer that's not that that doesn't have those technologies. Um, I mean, at least it would be rare to find a computer that you reasonably believed would be capable of doing like modern virtualization stuff. Um, okay, so once you've got all that, you need the KVM stack installed. KVM is, of course, the Linux kernel, uh, kernel-based virtual machine. It is in mainline kernel now, so it's pretty common. You may already have it installed. You do want you probably have it installed, uh, but you do want the QEMU or, or KMU or however you say that word, uh, QEMU-KVM packages. Whatever your distribution calls the QEMU-KVM portion, you want to make sure that that's installed. It might be bundled together with QEMU in the in in its you know it might just be a big uh, monolithic package. It may not be check to make sure that it's either available or, or installed um, and you'll be good. Okay, so once you've got that, you want to uh, enable the virtualization daemon, so that would be probably sudo systemctl enable dash dash now libvertd. It might be some, it might be called something different on your system on my slackware system the command is is not a system ctl command it's a slash etsy slash rc.d slash rc.libvert space start but just look into how to start libvert and and 
and start that, enable that to, to, to run on your system. You also want to add yourself to the libvirt group. To do that, you can do a sudo usermod-lowercase-a-capital-g, libvirt, and then your, your username, clatu. Use the new group command to log into the new group by running new group, that's n-e-w-g-r-p, space dash, space libvirt, and then if you run the group's command, you should see that your your user your your login has been updated uh, with you included in the libvirt group. You need to do that in order to interact with the uh, mini shift or or actually the OKD uh, tool chain that's kind of supporting mini shift. And then finally, you're going to need to install some Docker tools. Now we're not actually directly using Docker in this process, but there are still some tools to, um, to, to parse configuration files or to look at um, definitions, and I think even to run some binaries that you do need to install. This is probably subject to change realistically. Docker has gone through a lot of changes, uh, certainly since episode 1522 when I first talked about it but but even just within the past year or so it's gone under it's undergone a lot of changes I'm not 100% clear on the future of docker it seems like the whole container thing has taken a, a wild swing towards the truly open source whereas docker has taken a wild swing to not being as open source it's quite confusing if you go to their page to, the, to their website, but um, for now, Docker is is sort of the de facto default for a lot of the uh, container images and and commands. So you will need to install that. Installing just Docker machine is uh, is something you can do from from GitHub. It's curl dash dash location and then HTTPS colon slash slash github.com slash docker slash machine slash releases slash download. Obviously, this is current as of this recording, and it's probably outdated by the time you hear this. Slash lowercase v for version 0.16.1 slash docker dash machine dash Linux with a capital L dash backtick uname dash i close backtick redirect to tilde slash download slash docker dash machine. Then you want to mark that executable, so chmod plus x tilde slash download slash docker machine and then you want to probably move that well you certainly want to move that to some location in your path so if you do an echo dollar sign path capital p a t h um, then you'll see your path move this this docker machine executable to somewhere in that path i usually put it in slash user slash local slash bin you could maybe put it in slash opt if that's in your path you could add as a last resort, put it in slash user slash bin. It's up to you. And in addition to Docker Machine, you're going to need the KVM driver for Docker. So that's a separate thing that you need to download. And that one I can't be quite as explicit as to how to get that. You'll want to go to the 
GitHub site of dhiltgen and uh, look at the Docker machine KVM releases and get the one appropriate for your distribution. So that's github.com slash d-h-i-l-t-g-e-n slash docker dash machine dash kvm. The process of, of installing it, such as it is, uh, is pretty similar. You just mark it um, executable, and then you move it to somewhere in your path. And that's usually docker dash machine dash driver dash kvm is, I think, the expected name of that of that executable. So now you're set up. You're set up to install Minishift. And Minishift is distributed as a self-contained pre-compiled binary. You can go get the source code and, and compile it yourself, but it's written in Go, or a lot of it is, so you need a full Go development of environment. Uh, so you're welcome to do that. It's at github.com slash Minishift. But if you don't want to do that, then you can just install it yourself um, from their pre-compiled binary that they release. And again, you get that from github.com slash Minishift. Just go to the releases, look at the latest release, and grab that. It'll download a, a tar file, a .tgz. You can untar that and, once again, move it to some, some place in your path. So now you've got Minishift installed. All you need to do is start it. Starting it is a rather manual process, and I think it's okay. I mean, you could write a... I could imagine writing a desktop file for this, but I feel like that would be almost overkill, and you probably want to see the output anyway. So I've never I've never bothered with that. I've always just started it from the terminal and just set that terminal aside while it was running. So to start it, you do mini shift space start. You'll see a bunch of output. It gives you a lot of different uh, sort of status updates of what it's checking to to see is, is true or valid, and and it, it runs all of these processes, and then finally it tells you that that it's all started, it's, it's uh, OpenShift server has started, and that the server is accessible over a web console at some address. Let's call it 192.168.168.168 colon 8443 slash console. If you open a web browser and navigate to that IP address, and again, it, it will tell you the IP address, the standard port is 8443, and the, the, uh, the path is slash console, so it'll be some variation of that, but um, it will tell you that in the terminal output where to find this console. You log into, or you open a web browser, you navigate to that, to that page, and you'll see a login screen. Now, you will probably get an SSL certificate warning because the self the SSL certificate being used by this Minishift instance is a self-generated SSL certificate. So accept the, the warning or ignore the warning or whatever you need to do to get past that. In real life, you would change to a self-signed certificate uh, and and distribute that to the people that that want that that need, that need access, or you would get a CI a CA signed certificate or whatever. But for this, obviously, for your own machine, it doesn't really. It's not that big of a deal. So click through that, and um, and then sign in. And the way that you'll sign in is using the username developer and the password developer. The Minishift landing page that you'll see straight away 
at least at the time of this recording, obviously everything's subject to change. I mean, they're developing it, I'm sure, all the time. But by default, and I think generally, you'll get to a landing page that encourages you to get started with something. And since you're logged in as a developer, it assumes that your workflow is going to mirror a typical developer workflow. This is a pretty good way to get a feel for what Minishift is all about. So you may as well go down that path, at least initially, especially since without any anything existing in your Minishift cloud, uh, there's not a whole lot to monitor or 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 adjust. So you you want to create something for yourself if only so that you can then imagine what might happen in in the real world you you would have these pods running these little containers running and and generating and spawning and and scaling up and so on so in order to see that in action you, you kind of need to to create something so you can click on create project pretty much right after logging in and then enter the name for a project, maybe uh, Hacker Public Radio, for instance. Click Create, and then click the project name in the project list to enter its overview panel. And a project is, is not a container. It is simply a, it's an interface or a, a wrapper, I guess, around expected applications. For instance, let's say that there's a project that you that you're working on or that that someone is working on on your cloud and you need to as part of the project is that they need a, a web server to be running. Well, luckily there are pre-built projects for that, so you could browse, you can click uh, the browse catalog button in the interface in the in the Minishift interface. Oops. Um, and look around, and you'll you'll find a basic Nginx template. That opens a configuration window. You can click Try Sample Repository link to uh, auto-fill out all the fields. It fills it with demo content from OpenShift's project um, page on GitHub. And so once that's all filled out, then you click Create again. And now you've got a sample application that runs Nginx. Now it won't always be that easy because presumably at some point someone will be developing a project that does not exist yet, that doesn't have a pre-built template for you. But just to get something going, that was a pretty that's a pretty simple process. So if you if you if you create a project then you can create applications within that project and all and you know if you want just to learn you can use pre-built applications okay so once you've got an, a sample application like this nginx one for instance then you can close the, the the window and click the overview tab on the left of the web console uh, you'll see the the toolbar on the left it's expandable get used to that toolbar that's kind of the place that you're going to keep going back to frequently um, in the overview panel 
you can click the title of your application to view its progress and and the state of that of of that application so I mean you have to wait for it to build or, or to download the the template and then to build it into what they call a pod but once that's done then it'll you'll see an overview overview panel it'll tell you where to find the application so for instance to to go see the the it works page or whatever it is on nginx i haven't seen it in a while but that 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 start page that start page that a web server provides so that you know that it's running uh, in order to see that it'll give you the url it'll give you the url of that start page so you can go take a look at it and confirm that it's working and at this point, I think you'll probably see, like if you've installed it and you've done everything that I've said, just set up a sample application, you'll kind of get a feel for the interface and the things that you would maybe normally be looking for. For instance, how many instances of this web server are running right now? How could we scale it up? How could we add more instances if maybe there's a spike in traffic? Now, obviously, in real life, the administrator wouldn't be the one literally monitoring the traffic and scaling up the application with frantic mouse clicks as more people log in that's not how it would work but being able to log in and, and look at that and see and then do a manual override maybe as needed that's all useful information and obviously the toolbar on the left is is well worth exploring another thing worth exploring is what's actually happening behind the scenes so this is the fancy GUI that a lot of people will see at their day job but somebody's looking at this thing from a different angle and the gateway to everything that the web console is doing is a command called OC. Now many shift uh, ships with a with a command to and I think OpenShift does as well now that I'm saying that but there's a command to set up your environment so that 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 Minishift knows or rather OC knows where, where your cloud data is stored. So you can see this for yourself by running minishift space oc.env uh, to actually implement it, to apply it to your environment, do an eval space backtick minishift space oc-env backtick. Then you can log in as the admin user. OC space login space dash u space system colon admin. Keep in mind on a, a real OpenShift server and environment you'd, you'd have you'd be logging in with ldap or oauth or something like that but this is a hyper local test environment it knows that it's a test environment so the direct sort of default passwords and everything is just it's fine okay so we're going to do an oc space git space users and that shows you all the users on your open uh, on your mini shift environment and you'll find that um, there's one user, and they're called developer. That's that default user that we just used to log into the web console. You can also view this user's projects with OC space project, and you can create new projects like OC space new dash project space um, GNU World Order dash dash display dash name equals GNU World Order dash dash description equals quote new world order close quote it's a lot of the same data for a lot of different options but I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head so there you go uh, you could also create new applications so the new project is the thing that you did when you first logged into the web console to create a new uh, a thing a, a place for 
applications to live. Uh, to create the application itself, you can just do OC space new dash app, and then and then the location of the application of of the application uh, Git repository, and and you know as as usual, you'd kind of have to know the environment and know what you want to do. There are sample ones online. You can use those. It's like if you go to github.com slash sclorg, there are a couple of sample projects there. There's a couple. I think that one is actually linked from OpenShift GitHub. But if you go to OpenShift GitHub, you'll you'll find sample uh, sample applications, and that's just, it's the same stuff that you looked at when you installed Nginx as an application. So the OC command, in other words, is the terminal command version, pretty much, of Minishift um, or or OpenShift or OKD. Trying both of them, kind of getting used to both of them, is not a bad idea. And that's about all I can say about Minishift. It's something that you should try if you're interested in getting started with the cloud, because it's it's a great example of uh, of an open source interface for cloud for for container management and orchestration. And, and for monitoring, too. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff out there, obviously, uh, that can hook into OpenShift. But, but OpenShift is a, is a really great, or MiniShift as well, is a really great place to start locally to get a feel for what exactly would go into to managing these sorts of things. Click around, learn new tricks, go to learn.openshift.com or, or whatever whatever it is. Yeah, try no, learn.openshift.com I think or .io, one of those two. You can get kind of get a feel for common tasks that would that would be something that a, an admin would have to do. It's the way to learn this stuff. So, hopefully that helps you sort of break through a lot of the buzzwords and confusion about what exactly the cloud is and how it exists and how it runs. The idea that that there are open source and hybrid clouds out there that, that do not rely on imaginary server farms that are owned by corporations that you can never quite put your finger on. Don't do that. Learn Minishift, learn OpenShift, learn Kubernetes. That's the way to get started on the cloud, the open source way. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.